So today's daf is Mem Hey. In Pesachim, we are on Mem Dalad Amud Bet. We are one, two, three, four, five, six lines from the bottom of the uh, of the Amud. We're still talking about these two concepts of Heter Mitzdarif Isur and Tam Kikar. So two important halachic concepts. One relates to if you have two substances that are attached to one another, basically, even though the flavor doesn't uh, doesn't spread. So for it, the, the classic case being the bread of the nazir that he dips in wine. So half of it is soaked with wine and half of it is without any wine, no taste of wine at all. But since it's one entity, so if you want to make a kazait, you could eat that bread uh, and it will count towards the kazait uh, together with the, uh, the wine bread. And uh, to make up the kazai, that's heter mitzdarifli. So and then we have the idea of tamkikar, which is that flavor itself without substance can also uh, be considered isur. There's a whole discussion about whether, and, and Rashi even alludes to it here in this masachet, and it's discussed in masachet chulin uh, in more detail, whether the tamkikar is a, an isur deoraita, whether it's derabanan, whether, whether if there's no substance at all present, is it still considered deoraita, and so on. Uh, we tend to treat it like a deoraita, but it's actually a pretty big um, debate among the among commentaries. So anyway, Amar le'av ha'chabarit le'av ha'vashib. Rav Achat, the son of Rav Avya, says to Rav Ashi, from the rabbis, we can we can sort of like infer something. We can figure something out about Rabbi Akiva because the rabbi said from the word Mishrat, the Nazir, the Mishrat. They didn't learn like uh, Rabbi Akiva that you learned from that Heter Mitzrayfli. So they learned from that that we that Tam Ikar. That's what that's what they said. So they said from the fact that what did the rabbi say? They said Mishrat in Nazir teaches you a halacha for the entire Torah that Tam Ikar applies in the entire Torah not just in the Nazir framework. So why here? So we should say the same thing about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, Nami Mishrat, So Rabbi Yochanan, when he introduced this halacha, said only Nazir has this idea of Heter Mitzarev Lisur. No other area do we say Heter Mitzarev Lisur. So why is it that, uh, that why doesn't Rabbi Akiva go the same way as the Chachamim and say, my idea of Heter Mitzrayf Lisur applies across the board, just like the, uh, just like the Chachamim, the idea that they derive from the Nazir, which is Tam Kikar, we don't say, fl- we say flavor of pork is considered like pork. We say flavor of uh, Basar Chalav is considered like Basar Chalav. Flavor of shrimp is like shrimp. So why don't we say also that Heter uh, Mitzrayf Lisur with Nazir, so it applies everywhere else also. If you have half a piece of bread that was dipped in uh, 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 Shrimp and the other one is uh, clean, but you you can the whole thing will add as uh, together as a kazai. Why not? Why not say that for all isurim? So it says We have an idea of which is when the Torah has to say something twice, it means to say it exclusively in those cases. In other words, if the Torah wants to teach you a general rule, it says it one time in one case, and you figure out oh this obviously this rule applies in all cases. You don't have to tell me every single time. Right, but if you say something in two cases, in two different areas, that implies that only those two cases. Because otherwise, why would you have to say it? Meaning, if the first statement was sufficient to teach you a general rule, you wouldn't have to say it again. Okay, it's like it's it's like what happens when people send out reminders for shiurim. So then, when there's no reminder, everyone assumes it's canceled. Right, that's a problem. 
Right? If you said it one time, there's a shiur at this time, I'm never going to mention it again, so then everybody would just come all the time. Right? But if you say it every time, and the one time you don't say it, oh, that must be that it's canceled. Because with the exception, uh, the exception becomes significant. So if we say it one time, heter mitzaref lisur, you'd be right. We've generalized it, but it's actually written two times in the Torah because it's written by the Koban Chatat. So therefore we can't derive anything. So it says, Nazir Adamran. So the Nazir case, we already said, that's Mishrat. Chatat, mahi. What's the case of Chatat? There's an interesting pasuk that says that anything that touches the flesh of the korban becomes sanctified at the level of the korban. So you'll think maybe that means even if it just touches it, like it's kudis, you know, you just touch it and it becomes uh, becomes uh, a, uh, a, a a new status. But no, it means it has to touch in its flesh, which means to say it has to be something that absorbs a little bit, but still the whole thing will become on the level of the thing that it absorbs. I'll explain in a second. What that means is, let's say, for example, you had a korban shlamim, or even had regular ordinary meat, and you have a korban chatat. Now, a korban chatat can only be eaten for one day, and it can only be eaten by kohanim. Okay, zichrei kehona. Right? So, in the, in the azara also, it can only be, it's very restricted. Now, let's say that korban touches and absorbs a little bit. In, this Kohen was on duty that day and he was there working and he's going to eat a Korban Chatat and he's taking his Korban Chatat meat and he had his bologna sandwich that his wife made him for lunch that day. You know, it's just a regular bologna sandwich on a Korban and now a little bit of the Chatat absorbs into the bologna sandwich. So now what happens? The whole bologna sandwich it becomes something that can only be eaten by male Kohanim in the Azara and all the whole thing because it takes on the same status. The Chulin will take on the same status as the Korban. The same would be true about another Korban. Let's say a Korban Shlamim. Korban Shlamim is a much longer deadline. You have shnei yamim echad to eat a korban shlamim. You can eat it for two days. You bring it on Monday. You got Monday, Monday night, Tuesday to uh, be able to eat it. So, so but if it has contact with a korban chatat, that's only a one-day korban and it absorbs a little bit. So now the whole thing becomes like the korban chatat. Similarly, if it's pasul, if the korban is one korban is pasul and it, it it absorbs into a korban that is not pasul, now that korban that wasn't pasul is now pasul. But what is the what is it saying here? It's saying heter mitzareif lisur also applies here. That um, once that korban absorbs, even a little bit of that korban of that piece of meat absorbs from the korban chatat, the whole thing becomes like korban chatat. So that's heter mitzareif lisur, same concept. Okay, that's even though only one piece is affected, the whole entity becomes affected by that status. So, so therefore, what is Rabbi Akiva saying? Ah, we have the idea of heter mitzareif lisur in two different contexts. We have it in the context of Nazir, and we have it in the context of Chatat. Now, if in the context of Nazir it was intended that we should generalize, that just like the piece of bread that absorbs a little bit of wine on the end, the whole piece of bread becomes considered now like yain, we should also say in every other case. So if that's true, that in every other case, so why does it have to mention by the Korban Chatat that if the Korban Chatat absorbs absorbs a little bit into another piece of meat that it makes the whole meat like a korban chatan, which should be obvious, right? So obviously, it's not generalizable. We don't generalize <laughs> from the case of the, uh, the nazir to all other cases because in the case of chatat, we needed to hear it again, which means it wasn't generalized. So for Rabbanan, what about the rabbis? They should say the same thing. They should say, look, we have the idea of het- They said that the, that the nazir teaches you tam ki'ikar. Right, that the absorption of flavor is like the thing itself. So here also you see the absorption of flavor is changing the status of the chatat. So it should be also two different contexts in which you learn the same halacha, and we shouldn't be able to generalize. And they generalized and said that tamki ikar applies everywhere, not just nazir and chatat. So they're going to say 
that Amrei Hanum Mitzach Tzrichi, they're going to say that you need both of those cases. We'll see why. Really, the reason why is because they're going to say that in the case of Chatat, it's not talking about Tam Ki'ikar. They're going to agree with Rabbi Akiva in the case of Chatat, that Heter Mitzaref Le'isur, that we don't split things up and say, well, only half of it is really going to get the status of Korban Chatat. When it comes to Korbanot, they're more, they're going to agree with Rabbi Akiva. They just don't agree anywhere else, okay? That's the idea of, that's what they're going to say, but they didn't say it yet. So Rabbi Akiva, my, so what about Rabbi Akiva? He'll say that you need these psukim, you can't, uh, the idea of double mention in the Torah means that you don't generalize, okay? So that is only under certain circumstances. Because my, so the question is, my tzuchi, does it, if you need both of these psukim, then it won't be considered redundant. But if it's redundant, so that means that uh, it's telling you not to generalize. And, and Rabbi Akiva is saying you should not generalize. Right? You should not generalize. You should only say the case of Nazir and the case of Khatat. Now, how does he get that? Because we understand if the Torah had only given us one example, the example of Khatat. We definitely wouldn't have generalized because you never generalize from laws of sacrifices to regular laws. You, you can't make that kind of generalization. It could be stricter. But what if, why if the Torah wanted to generalize this idea? Want to generalize it? So a very easy way to do that. Just mention it in the case of Nazir. That's enough. And obviously, we will be able to generalize from Nazir to, to, to Korbanot because Korbanot are not going to be more lenient than everything else. We'll generalize to everything from the case of Nazir. Because then all prohibitions of the Torah would be learned from Nazir. In other words, what he's saying is that the redundant one is the case of Khatat. Because if the Torah really wanted to generalize, just say it in the case of Nazir, and we would know in every other case. The fact that the Torah comes and says it again by Chatat, which we would have known from Nazir. We would have known that when a part of a thing becomes prohibited, the whole thing is considered like part of the prohibition. We would have known that from the case of, uh, of Nazir. You wouldn't need to tell us it again in Chatat. Telling it us, uh, uh, to us again is telling us that only in these two cases does the rule apply. What will the rabbi say? So the rabbi say, no, we have two principles, but one of them generalizes and one doesn't. Meaning, Tam ki'ikar is mentioned only by Nazir. The word Mishrat teaches you Tam ki'ikar, that the flavor is like the substance. And that we generalize, Lechol at Torah Kula, that in all areas of Torah we say the Tam ki'ikar. However, the idea that Heter Mitzaref Isur, that if the spread of the Isur doesn't go all the way through the piece, right, that only we subscribe to that idea only by the Korbanot. But, but we never generalize from Korbanot to other things. So we wouldn't agree with you about Nazir. And we wouldn't agree with you about any other area of the Torah that had termed Sarif Lisur. I mean, Rabbi Akiva, according to this, is only claiming it about Nazir anyway. But the, the Chachamim said, we don't agree with you. It's only a law of Korbanot. Nowhere else. But you can generalize from Tam Kikar because there's no other example of Tam Kikar. In other words, the reason why we're generalizing Tam Kikar is because we're saying there's only one example of it in the case of Nazir and we're generalizing to all other prohibitions that flavor is considered like substance. And when it comes to the idea of that even though only part of this uh, entity absorbed uh, prohibition, that the whole thing becomes prohibited, that is only mentioned by Khatat according to us. And we would never generalize anything from Khatat to ordinary things. So therefore, we're going to leave it as, as it is. He's going to say, no, Tam Kikar, forget about that. I learned Tam Kikar already from where? From 
He learned that from the case of Klei Midian. He learned that from the pots and pans of Midian that they had to, that they had to do Hechsher Kelim and they had to make them kosher. So that shows you that the flavor was considered significant. So I already learned that. I don't need it. So I'm going to say that so that chatat is heter mitzdarif liyisur, and also mishrat is heter mitzdarif liyisur. It's nothing to do with tam kikar. Vavulu shnek tumi ba'in kechad, koshnek tuvina ba'in kechad, and milamdir. And the reason why I'm not going to generalize is because these are two of the same concept in the framework of korbanot. We say heter mitzdarif liyisur that even though only part of it absorbed from the korban chatat, the entire thing is going to now be considered like a chatat. And we say in in nazir that even though only part of the bread absorbed the wine, the whole bread is now considered to like the wine. Uh, but we're not going to generalize that to any other case because since the Torah said it two times, that means only these two times, no other times. What about the bride that says It says that, that the Nazir is not allowed to eat anything that comes from the Gefenayin, from the grapevine. And that includes including the pits and including the, and I mean the seeds they're called, right? The seeds and including the, uh, and including the skins. Right? And what do we learn from that? Let's say a guy sits down and he has a little bit of dolme and a little bit of the seeds, and a little bit of this, and he makes a kazayit out of the skin, and out of the, out of the seeds, and out of this, Raisin. the leaves, whatever. He takes little pieces of different parts, and he, right, he combines it to kazayit. It, they're all one prohibition. So meaning, even though he only had half a zayit of seeds, grape seed, and half a zayit of, uh, of skin, they will combine together. So the question is, There's a question on Rabbi Akiva, because Rabbi Akiva is going even further than that. Rabbi Akiva is saying, even if I have a piece of bread, and a part of the bread absorbed wine. Yeah. I'm going to say the whole piece of bread is now considered like the kazayit of wine. So if I, so even though half of what I'm eating is really just plain bread with no wine at all, I, I'm still going to be liable for eating a kazayit of grape because I ate the end of the bread that had some wine uh, absorbed in it. So, but uh, if it's true that I can take heter v'isur and combine it together, I can take bread plus wine and combine it together into a kazayit. Then definitely I could combine grape skin and grape seeds. I mean, why do I need a pasuk to tell me that I can combine two different forms of the prohibition if I can even combine a permitted thing with a prohibited thing to make the kazayit? So he answers them and says, Amar isur isur It depends what the circumstances. In other words, let's say the guy goes and he eats that, that piece of bread that was dipped in the wine. This nazir goes and he just eats the permitted part. Right? He doesn't eat the, uh, the whole thing. So in other words, he just eats the part that didn't have any wine in it. You're not, we're not saying that that part of the bread is literally wine. We're saying that if we wanted to, we ask two different questions. Did the, did the Nazir drink wine or consume wine? And did the Nazir eat a kazait in drinking the wine? We're separating it out as two questions. So since he drank wine or consumed grape product... And he ate a kazait in that consumption of grape product. It doesn't have to be that the kazait is exactly all of grape product. That's the chidush. Okay, so if he had grape juice flavored in uh, something else, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, you know, that would... Water. He, right, he ate a kazait, but the kazait was not all of grape. Okay, but in the moment that he ate the isur, he ate a kazayit. That's all we want to know. We, it's like we separate the two questions. We don't ask, did he eat a kazayit of grape? We ask, did he eat a kazayit when he was eating grape? Right? That's almost like the way that they're saying it. Right? As opposed to, if he just had the heter part, we're not going to say that he, uh, that he just ate the bread without the wine. We're not going to say, oh, that's in, equivalent to wine. Not equivalent. Whereas in the case of the grape seeds and the grape... Um, 
and the grape uh, uh, leaves or uh, skins. So there, even if he ate the grape seeds, and then he goes and he eats the grape uh, skins, and it's separate. It's not one act of eating. It's not like he put the piece of bread in his mouth and it was half uh, wine-drenched and half not wine-drenched. He took a little bit of seeds and a little bit of skin. That is what where we're saying that that would be the difference. In other words, if he's eating it bevat achat, when he eats it as, at once, he eats that piece of bread that half of it is soaked with wine, then we're saying he ate a kazayit and he ate wine. So therefore he's liable for it. Whereas what, the chidush here is that even if he ate as two separate actions, he ate half a zayit of grape seed. It wasn't combined into one. He didn't swallow it at once. He had a little bit here. He went and had a little bit here. Now, obviously, it has to be because in order to count as a kazayit, it always has to be connected together. It can't be like he came the next day and had half a kazayit. But what it means is it doesn't have to be one act of consumption, literally one. Whereas in the case of the Hetem with Saref Lisur, it's saying that when he, he ate the bread as one action, so therefore, we don't distinguish between the part of the bread that was drenched with wine and the part that was not. Okay, that's, that's how Rabbi Akiva would answer. Now, there's a whole discussion about whether, you know, the halakha here or the practical halakha, tamki ikar and so on. It's very lo- far afield of the, of the Gemara itself. But the Mishnah says, the dough that is stuck in the arevaz, the trough that they would uh, knead the dough, they would put the dough in there and they would be shaping the dough in this big uh, container. So if you ha- you're going to have dough stuck in the cracks of this thing, because remember, they didn't use like smooth plastic things. They used things that had like a lot of dents and cracks and whatever. So you have that dough in there. So, so now we're going back to the issue of Pesach. So you have a trough of dough. Now let's assume you're not really going to use that on Pesach because it's a chametz. Here. What's in this crack? Whatever. Yeah, it could be, but I don't. Th- if you had a crack that big, I think you'd be getting a new one. But, know, but yeah, but we're talking about smaller cracks. But it, uh, I assume it, they're not going to be using this thing for Pesach. The point is that the question is whether you have to get rid of that chametz that's in there. In other words, when you're cleaning for Pesach, right. you have to clean it. So, uh, like people ask, so do I have to clean my toaster oven? Do I have to clean my microwave? Things like that, where crumbs accumulate and so on. So here we have pieces of chametz that are stuck in the cracks. So im yesh kazayit makom If you have an entire kazayit in one spot that's stuck there, so then you have to get rid of it. But beim lav not batel miotop becomes batel. V'chein linyan hatumah. The same is true regarding tumah. Im makpid alav chotet simotet bekiumor ehu kareva. That if the person is um, wants to dip this trap, that's it became tamei. So somebody tamei handled this uh, this uh, container, this thing that they, this bowl that they're using for mixing the dough, and so if, if you want to take it to the mikveh and it has dough stuck on it, is that a chatzitza? When you dip it in the mikveh, so the question is, if it's something makpidalav that you you want to take it off. So then it's like the same rule as, as Tevilat Kelim, basically. If it has stickers on it or whatever that you're going to take off and you want to take off, you're not going to leave them on. So you have to remove them before you do Tevilat Kelim. That's only, our Tevilat Kelim, you know, is, is not the same because it's not really for Tum'ah, but I'm, I'm giving it as an example. But in, so here too, if you want to remove the, uh, the dough that's caked on there, meaning if you're going to leave it there because you say, you know what, this dough is actually very helpful because it caked into the thing and it's holding it together like glue, I'm going to leave it, so that it just becomes part of the, it becomes part of the entity. You're, you're benefiting from the, uh, from the dough that's gotten stuck and worked its way into the cracks because it's holding it together like glue. Uh, however, if you're planning on cleaning it out and you want to scrape it off and now you want to bring it to the mikveh, so then it would be a chatzitza because it's something extra 
extraneous. It's blocking the water of the mikveh from getting to the for, to, to the to the vessel. But if the vessel is you're you're using that piece of dough as now part of the vessel, you're going to leave it there. So that becomes part of it. The Gemara says, "This is only where this dough that's stuck in this trough or whatever is not asuin lechazik. It's not intended. The person didn't have intention for that dough to stay there to hold the vessel together." Right, but if the if it's stuck in those cracks and it's there as devik, it's using it as a type of a glue. It's holding it together. So then, that's not, he doesn't have to get rid of that chametz and pesach because now it became part of the vessel. It's not really considered food anymore. He can leave it there. But then this chametz that you desired, then then you're, you're But you right desired as part of a kli. It's like it became like not a food anymore because you just wanted to be part of your bowl. It's like saying that you used, I don't know, uh, a glue that was made from chametz to glue your book together. You don't have to throw out your book. It's, it's not part of, it's not a food anymore. That's what it's saying. I don't, it, it, I don't know, but something that could crack, probably, probably, uh, it could be, well, it couldn't be because they're talking about being in the mikveh. I don't know, probably would, I guess, would probably. Probably would. Um, yeah, I would assume would. It can't be cheres because they're talking about taking it to the mikveh. Huh? You'd dip it, dip it in the mikveh like anything else. No, we're talking about tumah. We're not talking about bliyah. They're not using this for Pesach. We're just talking about whether you have to get rid of the chametz that's caked into it. That's all. We're, we're not... No, a table. I, I mean, if a table really has cracks like that, then there would be the same issue. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you had table that you use and it's like an old table that has a lot of cracks and or it's like a style that has like a lot of uh, spots that can, yeah, 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 cracks that it gets in, so then that would be the same issue, right? I mean, you could cover it that from the perspective of eating or not eating chametz. Obviously, you have to cover it or you have to make sure you don't eat it. That's not the issue. The issue is whether you have to get rid of it or not. Right, So according to this interpretation, there are two interpretations here of the Mishnah. One is that the Mishnah here dis- dis- is distinguishing between a kazayit and not a kazayit. That's all the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says if it has a kazayit, you have to get rid of it. If it's less than a kazayit of, fla- of dough, you don't have to get rid of it. And Rav Yudah is coming along and saying, even if it's a kazayit, if it is stuck in there and you're leaving it there as a type of a glue to hold the thing together or to seal it from, from leaking, so then it's okay. Okay, very lenient. But, so meaning that that would mean that if it's a kazayit, even if it's a kazayit, right, you don't have to get rid of it. If it's less than a kazayit, you don't have to get rid of it either. Even if it's not functioning in the, in the bowl, you wouldn't have to get rid of it. In other words, there's, you need two negatives to require removal. You need that it's a kazayit and that it's not serving any function in the bowl. Okay, that's the, but there's an alternative interpretation. That he was really commenting on the latter part of the Mishnah, where it talked about the less than a kazayit. According to the second way, it's the opposite. In other words, according to the first way, you need two negatives to require removing this dough, you need that it is a kazayit, and you need that it isn't intended to hold the bowl together. But if it's less than a kazayit, or it's intended to hold the bowl together, so then you wouldn't have to remove it, no matter what the measurement in that case, right? The second version is saying, no, if it's a kazayit, then no matter what, you have to remove it. And even if it's less than a kazayit, you need the additional positive 
that it's being that it's serving as a glue for to hold the thing together. In other words, you need two positives to exempt you from uh, removing it. According to the second version, you need it to be less than a kazayit, and you need it that it's serving a function in the bowl. According to the first version. You need two negatives in order to re- require removal. You need it to be a kazite and not be serving a function in the bowl. But if either of those two criteria is not met, then you wouldn't have to remove it. Okay, so that's the, that's the two versions. Now, it happens to be that Tanya Kilshnab Kama, Tanya Kilshnab we have bright thought that support both of these interpretations explicitly because Tanya Kilshnab Kama, because the first bright thought said that if you have dough that's in the cracks of this areva, this vessel, and it's, it's serving a place, that it's in a place where it's really preventing leakage from the bowl, right? And first of all, it's not considered to be a chatzitza for the purpose of mikveh. If you dip this item in the mikveh, it won't be considered to be an extraneous matter that's blocking the water of the mikveh, number one. But in over. And also, eno over, you won't violate the prohibition of having chametz because it's not considered chametz anymore. It became part of the bowl. But if it's not in a place where it's serving any function in the bowl to prevent leakage, right? So then you're going, and so then we're going to say that it's, it's a chatzitza. It's an extraneous thing that's stuck on the bowl. It, it will interrupt, it will interrupt between the water and the bowl if you take it to the mikveh number one. And it will be considered a problem for chametz. But that's only with a kazait. But if it's less than a kazait, then even if it's not serving any function in the bowl, it's not going to be a chatzitza, and it's not going to be a, and it's not going to be considered a violation for Pesach because it's just not significant according to this. In other words, acor- right? According to this, you need two strikes against you to require removal. It's got to be big and it's got to be not serving a function. But if it's too small, then it's already insignificant. And if it's serving a function, then even if it's big, it's going to be okay. That's the first Mbraita. Second Mbraita says, it says, if you have dough that's in a place, that is, uh, that is, uh, serving, that is, um, that is serving to uh, prevent leakage. So then it's not considered a chatzitza. If it's in a place that it's not serving any function, then it's going to interrupt between the waters of the mikveh, and it's also going to, uh, it's also going to be a problem for Pesach. According to this, that is only, if it's less than a kazayit, but if you, but if you have a kazayit, then even if it's serving a function in the bowl, you gotta get rid of it. Right? So this is according to the second version. That, a, that either one is a deal breaker. If it's not serving a function, it's a, even if it's less than a kazayit, gotta get rid of it. If, and if it's a kazayit, even if it is serving a function, gotta get rid of it. So that's the second version, the second bright supporting, supporting the second version. The question is, kashyana hadadei. They're inter- they're intrinsically contradictory. So before we said, okay, it's two different versions of Rav Yehuda. So fine, we can deal with two different versions. But now we have two brightos that are directly contradicting each other. What's going on here? Rav said, you know what? Just get rid of the lenient one. Let's just take the strict one. Just erase the lenient one. He must have been, he must have been Persian. <laughs> See, they were like the Chumrot of Pesach. He said, uh, just forget the lenient. The strict yeah, is always don't, better. Don't don't right? Don't listen to it. Do the strict one better. We, we don't do yeah. Rav Yosef, Yosef said, alma. You're getting rid of all the Tanaim in the world. You're not going to try to find some opinion that is supported. You're just going to throw one out. Right? He says, Tanaim, it's really a machloket Tanaim. 
Chayav levayir. If you have bread that became spoiled, became ruined, yeah. you have to get rid of it. Because even though it's kind of gotten like uh, a little spoiled, you could still use it as a sourdough, a starter dough, to uh, create other chametz. So because you could grind, it says you could grind it up, you could make it into uh, uh, into uh, for other things. But Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar that's only if it was stick. It was for the purposes of eating. If you had this dough around, it was for the purposes of eating, right? That might be true. But but if you have a like a chunk of seor, you had like a chunk of dough that you decided, you know what? This is so old. I'm just gonna make it into a seat. It's a chair now. Oh, a, chair. a chair, right? He says the yeshiva. He doesn't mean that he gave it to the uh, the Beit Midrash, right? He said. Um, Although some, from what I hear, some of the cafeterias that's uh, what they, the, the food that they serve in the yeshiva kind of tastes like this um, ancient bread that is very spoiled, according to my son. But um, but I I can't I haven't tasted it yet. I can't back that up. But that's there's a edut uh, to support that. But that, but that's not what it means yeshiva here, right? It means to sit on it. So he made it into a chair. Right, so that so he's saying since he made it into a chair, so then it becomes batel. Right, So the implication is that this is a machloket because Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar is not just like shooting the breeze with the rabbis and sharing his personal uh, personal anecdote about using chametz as a chair. He's obviously disagreeing, and the rabbis would say that no, even that is considered to be a problem. So alma kasavar kol kazayit aval gav lo batel. Right, meaning that according to the Tanakama, that uh, the the implication is that even though you have once you have a kazayit, it doesn't matter what function it's serving that you decide to make it into a chair. It's always going to be a problem. That's what. So you you reassigned it to be a chair doesn't matter, right? Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar saying no, you reassigned it to be a chair, even if it's a kazayit, it's 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 going to be batel. So what's the relevance here? Similarly, right? According to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. If this dough, even though it's a kazai, it got stuck in the cracks of the bowl and it's serving to prevent leakage from the bowl, it became part of the bowl and you're leaving, you're leaving it there for that, right? So it's like making a chair out of it. So it becomes batel to the bowl. It's not considered chametz anymore. It's glue in the bowl. According to the chachamim that say that, switch, that making a, a chunk of chametz into a chair doesn't do you any good, right? It doesn't remove it from being chametz. They will also say that if you have a big chunk of chametz and it's stuck in the cracks of the bowl, even if you decide to leave it there as glue, it doesn't matter. It's going to be leman yamdu yamim rabim. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you go into the store, you buy something, you bring it home, and you realize that that's exactly what they left on the shelf for you know leman yamdu yamim rabim. But that, yeah, but that, that's the um, that's the thing. So it, that's the machloket he's saying. That's exactly the machloket here between Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar and the and the chachamim. Whether a kazayit can lose its status as chametz if it's reassigned a different purpose. Okay, very nice. But Abaye says no, no. I have a better answer. Amali Abaye. You only gave an answer for the kazayit issue. But what about the fact that one brayta says that less than a kazayit that isn't serving a function can also be okay? And the other one says, no, if it's less than a kazayit and it's not serving a function, it's not okay. What about that part of the brayta? You didn't answer that one. You only went for the one part of it. So what about the other one? He says, I'll give you a different answer. We can say that actually both brightot are reflecting Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, but they're talking about two different circumstances. One is talking about in the area of Lisha, not in the area of Lisha, meaning to say that there are, there are th- three different levels according to Abaye, basically. You can have a piece of chametz in there that is nowhere near where the dough even reaches, okay, meaning towards the top of the lip of the, uh, of the container, and you can have dough that is where the dough does reach, and you can have the bottom, which is what, what it means, asuil chazek means the bottom of the, of the bowl. So meaning, 
when it said it's asui lechazek, it meant to say that it's, it's at the bottom of the bowl, right? Where, where the most pressure is from gravity for things to leak out, okay? On the sides, you could say that the benefit of having something stuck in the cracks is that whatever you're working with won't get stuck in the cracks, right? But it's not really functioning to prevent leakage. Only what's on the bottom is functioning to prevent leakage. So the way that Abaye is interpreting it is that if you have a kazait of chametz and it's on the bottom and it's in the, it's actually preventing leakage from coming out, okay, that's considered to be uh, a, a function that is, uh, will make it batel. If you have it, and that's, and I think Rashi, uh, uh, explains the whole thing. So he says, he says, um, he says, he says, uh, Right? What does it mean, uh, that it's not made to strengthen? It means that it's not made at all. Like the top. But the walls are considered That's considered a place that still is a chazek, that still is, uh, uh, you know, helpful. So meaning, according to the second Baita, if it's in a case where it's, uh, it is on the sides, where it does prevent food from getting into the cracks, but it's not really functioning fully because it's not preventing leakage, there a kazayit would not be acceptable. Right? That's what he's saying. Whereas the first bright that was considering the walls also, uh, uh, it was calling them also in Asui Lechazek. Okay? So now he explains it. He says, is explaining. So the Tanakhama say in a place where in the first brighter, when it says makom hasui lechazek, kegon shulaim she mekablinat amayim, the bottom that receives the water. Okay, that is a sui lechazek. Afilu kazayit ino over. Okay, there even if you have a kazayit on the bottom of this bowl, because it's really holding the leakage. Okay, makom sheino hasui lechazek amayim, kegon defanot the makom lishahu velav makom amayim chotzetz veover. So he says, with it, so basically he's making a distinction. He's saying, if it's on the very bottom, so then a kazayit is acceptable if it's stuck in the cracks, uh, according to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. If it's on the sides, right, so the sides, it's not as necessary because all it does is prevent what you're working with from getting stuck in the cracks, but it's not as necessary. So therefore it would be okay, but pachot mi kazayit, right, afilo bidifanot nami right, since it helps a little bit and it's less than a kazayit, it'll be okay. Okay, so that, that's what he's saying. He's saying every, that, this is all Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. There's a three-tiered distinction. Okay, if the, uh, if the, uh, the, the, the chametz is a kazayit and it's the very bottom, then it's going to be okay because it's preventing leakage. If it's less than a kazayit and it's on the side and it's in the cracks, it's also going to be okay. Definitely if it's on the bottom, right? But if it's a kazayit and on the sides, that's not a significant enough function to uh, nullify the kazayit. However, if it's above that level altogether, so then for sure, even a, even less than a kazayit, you're going to have to remove because it's not serving any function at all. Okay? Not serving any function at all is not allowed. So that's how Abayid works it out. Don't think, and he's, he's basically elaborating on, Rabash, uh, on, on Abaye. He's saying, don't think means on the, like, on the very, means, right? So he's saying that means all the way on the top. It doesn't mean on the sides. Okay? Right, because the loft yeah. the, the, the dough comes all the way, uh, all the way to the top and goes over. Right, so Rashi says, don't think that when we're saying less than a kazayit is a problem, that it's talking about on the outside. 
right? It's saying anywhere on the inside where you're using it is considered makom uh, lisha. Okay, he says, that's obvious. Since sometimes you might say that, you know, you have spillage and you have overflow, so you might, you might expand the idea and say, well, I'm very messy, so, you know, the dough goes all over and it goes all over, and so the whole thing is going to be considered makom uh, lisha. says, no, once you're out of the range where normally the dough goes and you're on the outsides of it, that's not going to be considered makom lisha, so even less than a kazai you have to get rid of. So that's how Abaye gives us an answer for both of these braitot, by making his three-tier distinction. Okay? Kamashmala. So now Rav Nachman, Rav Halachakar Rishon Ben Elazar. Rav Nachman said the name of Rav. Halachafaz Rishon Ben Elazar about this, meaning that a kazayit could be batel if it's really serving a function, right? Any is that true? Amar Yitzchak Barashi Amar Rav Im Tach Baner Batid Batla Tach In Lo Tach Lo. But that's not true. We don't follow Rav Rishon Ben Elazar that you can just turn over a huge chunk of chametz and say that it's a chair. That's not true. We said that it has to tachbatit. He has to take like clay or some other thing and, and smear it on. He can't just use the chunk of chametz and make that into a chair. He has to actually put something on it to show that it's no longer being used like clay or whatever um, or mud to show that it's no longer being used for food. Yes. So, right? so it's not so simple that we follow it. So it says, Mande matneha, lo matneha. So obviously the, the version of Rav Yitzchak that... Uh, uh, that, uh, that, um, that what the version of, um, of Rav, rather, that said that the halacha follows Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar cannot be correct, because in one case, Rav, Rav is saying that the halacha follows Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, you don't have to do anything. You could just say that this chunk of chametz is now a chair and it's good enough. But according to the second version, no, he says you have to do something. So you're right, so it says, Ikada Amri, Amrav Nachman Amarav, and halacha Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. That fits better. The Rav said that the halacha doesn't follow Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, de Amar Vitzchak Barashi Amarav, because Rav Vitzchak Barashi said in the name of Rav, that im tachmane batit betela. That only if you covered it with something, you added something, does it become batil. But if you simply turned it over and said that this piece of chametz is a chair, that will not work. If you have two less than a kazayit's worth of uh, dough, but there's a line, you know how there's sometimes a line of thin line of dough connecting them. Okay? You want to know if that's considered a kazayit or not? Pick it up by the string in between. If the string. Picks up both of them, so it's all one entity. If it doesn't pick up both of them, then uh, then uh, then it's not one entity, and there's only two chatzezetim. We're talking about two less than a kazayit of dough that are connected by a thin string of dough, uh, and wherever. I, I mean, I assume it's talking about in in a trough like this in this areva. Yeah. I mean, if you're already going to be starting to pick it up, you might as well just clean it. I mean, I don't know. But it's saying that, you know. But anyway. That's only true in the trough that if they're connected by a thin string, that if, they, if the string is not enough of dough to pick them up both, then you don't have to get rid of it. But in a house, if it's on the floor, you would have to clean it up. Why? Because sometimes you clean up, you're going to sweep, and you're going to combine them together. Right, they, they become combined. They asked in Israel, What if one half of the zayit is upstairs and one is downstairs? So when you clean up, you're going to end up combining it together, right? Right? Or you have the outside, the porch, and the inside, right? Batim usually means like rooms, actually, in those days, but meaning the two different areas, one inside the other. So teku, they left that as a teku. Since it's possible that in the process of cleaning up, you're going to end up squeezing this all together into a kazayit, it could be that they are going to be considered like a if the bread becomes ruined, 
Okay, becomes uh, you know spoiled. Then if adam, but the dog could still eat it. A person wouldn't eat it, but your dog will still eat it. So if it's a kabetza's worth, an egg's worth, it could still become tame as a food. And if it was truma, so then it could be burned with the tame uh, on pesach, meaning that it is not considered truma anymore once it becomes not fit for human consumption. So even though we're considering it still to be subject to the tumah food, it's not considered tumah because a human being will not eat it anymore and therefore could be burnt even if it's tahor with the tameh. And now it says, Mishum Rabbi Natan Amru, It doesn't make, it doesn't become tameh as a food as long as it's not edible for human beings. It has to be edible for human beings and not just for a dog. Right? Who is the author of the following Mishnah? That they made a rule regarding purity, laws of purity. That anything which is originally a food for a human being can become tamay until it becomes unfit for the consumption of a dog. That's obviously not in accordance with the ruling of Rabbi Natan because Rabbi Natan said that, uh, that uh, until it is, pasu- uh, that once it is no longer, um, uh, fit for human consumption, so it's no longer considered a food at all. So we can we can pick up from here next up because I think actually even though there's a two dots on the bottom, I think the discussion is actually a continuation of this piece. But the point is, but that's where but the point is that it had to initially be fit for human consumption to become a food. The question is when does it lose the status of human consumption? It doesn't lose the status of human consumption until it's gone even from dogs' consumption. But Rabbi Nathan would say once it loses human consumption level, it's not considered a food at all, even though a dog would still eat it.